Hello team, it's Pam here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now and that is what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place with positive impact marketing but putting purpose and results first? If you want to find out, then come and join us for the Alt Marketing Certification. Our six-week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of All Marketing School certification. Hello and welcome to Make an Impact Show, a podcast run by Creative Impact Co. Our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories via outstanding content. Hello team and welcome back to the Make an Impact Show. This week I'm bringing you yet another exciting replay and recording from the Reclaim Your Time of Festival, which was a festival we organized in honor of Baby Book 2, also known as Reclaim Your Time Off, the three-step solution to overworking. First of all, I want to say thank you to anyone who bought the book and shared all of the lessons, learnings and incredible calm words. It wins the world to me because I put so much time and love into this book and seeing you taking, making the most out of it and taking the lessons from it makes me incredibly happy. Today, as I mentioned, is yet another very inspiring success story brought to you by our friends at Audrey.io. As a reminder, Audrey is a platform that supports podcasters and allows them to grow, connect together, and even amplify their shows. I love Audrey myself, and we even use it for the Make an Impact show. Today's podcasters we're going to get to know a bit better is the lovely Dali Kinsey RD. She is an amazing creator as well as a registered dietitian and also a decolonized wellness and body image coach. We're going to talk about her as well as her own podcast called Body Liberation for All. I cannot wait for you to listen to this and get inspired by Dahlia's story as well as her learnings, lessons and how she managed to create connections through her podcast. I hope you're going to enjoy the show. And again, thank you so much for all the support for the book. If you haven't checked out Reclaim Your Time Off yet, I would suggest you go to the show notes and find out more about the book. Remember, you can find in any independent bookshops as well as the major retailers like Amazon, Waterstones, Foils and many more. We'll be back once again next week with one of our old good episodes. And we're going to bring back Amy to chat with me in the intros. But until then, I really hope you're going to love this week's episode with Dalek in CRD. Good morning. Look at the face. Oh, good morning, Dali. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to get you to share a bit more about yourself and the podcast today. 
And actually, because of that, what I would say, people hear my voice far more than enough. So I will literally leave you the stage right away. Just to tell us a bit more about you. Obviously, we're going to talk about Body Liberation for All as well. That's the podcast itself. But I think a bit of our story behind the podcaster and obviously the host is so important to understand why this show came to life. Mm. Yes. So my name is Dahlia Kinsey. I'm a registered dietitian. I live in the Southern United States. And as most of the planet is well aware, the United States has a lot of issues with racism, classism. In general, there's lots of systemic oppression that affects people here in the US, but we don't see a lot of emphasis on how that added stress affects people's health, people's individual health. When I was living through this second wave of the civil rights movement, I realized firsthand that when you look for resources for support about how to manage stress, everything that you find is centered on the white American experience. So the stressors that people talk about are temporary and the stressors that of course I could experience too. But what I was looking for was how do I address this stress that is relentless, that is every single day. So on top of stress from a death in the family, changing jobs, moving, living through the pandemic, I also had that added layer of feeling unsafe because of what I was seeing in the news cycle, feeling unheard because in my everyday environment, it's really common for people to try and tell you like, no, 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 you didn't just experience racism. You didn't just experience sexism or homophobia. You're being hypersensitive. So constantly being invalidated and constantly experiencing microaggressions or kind of more subtle forms of racism that don't physically threaten your health, but gradually break your health down because of the stress. Since it wasn't being addressed and I was looking for that type of support, I realized this is a resource not only that I need, but that I'm sure a ton of other people who belong to these same marginalized groups as myself need as well. So that was the impetus behind starting Body Liberation for All. And I think that's such an important reminder that a lot of the time what we create is really what we're looking for the most of ourselves and we cannot find. And that's a, that's a beautiful reminder of that. And I, I'm going to go off piece already from the beginning. That's how I roll. Because I want to ask you, actually, because there has been such a wide conversation and it's good that we're actually talking about it, the understanding of how wellness can be more inclusive and it can be really for all. And just because I think we, we can talk about it one more time and it's really important, can you actually give us, we have a lot of it, especially our audience from a UK perspective as well, which I think is obviously similar, but different experiences actually have different nuances. So obviously I don't want to put you on the spot with numbers or stats, but is there maybe anything that you think is really telling from also from the US perspective, from what you've learned from your, obviously from your own research, but also from the guests, that I think really explains why this change is needed and that really almost caught your attention. You know, some of the things you were like, actually, I can see this happening. And this is something that people don't realize. Right. One thing that comes to mind is knowing that even if, using myself as an example, I am an educated person. I've had an opportunity to go to college. I have really good access to healthcare. I have insurance. 
All that said, my life expectancy is shorter than my white peers. So it doesn't matter if income levels are the same, if we live in the same neighborhood, I'm more likely to die before them. And it's a considerable gap. Like we're talking years, five years, 10 years. So to constantly see that emphasis on it's the individual consumer's responsibility to take care of their health, that is part of the picture. It isn't giving us the full picture because I followed all of the rules that people put out there for how minorities should lift themselves up and I'm still vulnerable. And so what really needs to be addressed is the particular ways in which I am vulnerable. And to me, the thing that stands out the most is the chronic stress. Are we giving people tools to manage the chronic stress? Are we validating people's experiences? And are we helping people create safe spaces so they can experience community in which they can just be and finally relax and know, hey, in this space, I'm not going to be attacked bullied or humiliated for not being a white, cis, heterosexual person. And when it comes to specific numbers, one thing that comes to mind because I'm a registered dietitian is that the U.S. Black American population is about 13%, but only 2% of dietitians are Black. And dietitians are pretty much the ones leading preventative health and wellness when it comes to nutrition. And then when we look at wellness in general outside of like allied healthcare professionals and maybe trainers and people who work at the gym, you can just look on Instagram and see how not diverse the marketing is and just imagine what it feels like for people who are already incredibly traumatized by daily racism, going into an environment that's supposed to be about, you know, looking after your health, looking after yourself, and then encountering more hostility. And sometimes it isn't even intentional, but the damage is real nonetheless. And how many times do you expect consumers to keep going into places where they don't feel safe and they're not sure they will be welcome? How much is it helping you to go to the gym, run and lift weights if during the time that you were there, your cortisol was through the roof because of the way somebody dealt with you, you know, at the stacks or something? How much is it really helping if it's a period of increased stress? So it's obviously not going to be as beneficial to that person who goes in and feels comfortable and gets their workout, has their stress levels lowered. And the person who goes in and has a negative experience, but did the same exercise. You know, the benefit's not going to be the same for their body or their psychological well-being. I love that. And I think you, you also touched on so many points. And one that stood out for me, because I was thinking also how it can relate to the podcast itself, is that feeling of safe space, belonging, and community. And now I'm going to ask you, put words in your mouth, so please let me know if I'm getting it right. But can you say that also maybe body liberation for all is also within it there's an element of community by allowing other people to share their own stories and make relatable stories that the listeners can actually recognize themselves in just to understand obviously because selecting the guests is so important finding the right people is so key and I wanted to understand a bit better that process yes absolutely I those words you put in my mouth are accurate (laughs) it's just interesting how we all know that 
the internet is a mixed bag when it comes to feeling connected or feeling like it's a safe place. But it's been a very positive experience in the context of the podcast, because when you choose a subject that you feel passionate about, it's an opportunity to draw other like-minded people into your space. And prior to this podcast, I had another show that was more centered on professional development for registered dietitians in public school systems, which is what I do. And I connected to maybe like a handful of guests on a personal level and felt like, oh, I'm going to know this person for a long time. In contrast, centering my content on the intersection of wellness and social justice, it's amazing how many of the guests and I speak on a weekly basis now. Just that connection that's there and how many people have reached out to us after listening to our conversations and felt personally connected to us instantly because we're talking about a lot of shared experiences. And a lot of us have that feeling, thanks to the internet, of maybe growing up somewhere where you felt like you couldn't find your people. You didn't know where your village was, but they didn't live near you. (laughs) And feeling like you were having opinions that no one else could understand But then one day you're watching a film, you're reading a book, or maybe you're reading message boards, and someone says perfectly, succinctly, exactly what you've been feeling, and you feel this instant connection, like, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one going through this. People actually understand my experience. Never mind what the people around me say. My village is out there. They're just scattered. Like, we don't live all in the same country or the same block. And I love that. And I think it's also in itself, there's that reminder that, you know, by sharing that, I can also see how it becomes a little, I was going to say like a a spider web almost, because obviously one of the problems or the interesting elements of running a podcast in finding more guests, finding more relevant people, obviously would love to hear if also those connections that you created with the current guests has helped you maybe finding other people or what are the other ways that you really find other people to connect with? As you say, the internet is very wide. So um, how do you know if somebody's going to click with you and how do you know that you can actually bring them some value and they can bring it to the podcast? One thing that's been super helpful is when I use Audrey to find people, especially if they're other podcasters, and that's beneficial for multiple reasons. Sometimes, you know, if you have a guest who you love what they do, you love their work, but they're not comfortable with technology, that's a lot of drama in itself. But when you're dealing with another podcaster, that's like one thing that's, it's a non-issue. And also you can listen to your potential future guests show and get a real feel for who they are. And because it is about community on my show, on some other sites where people network and want to be guests on shows, you can tell that they're sending out these mass generic messages and maybe they didn't even listen to your show. They're not personally aligned with your brand or your mission. And it just feels kind of predatory and generic. Whereas on Audrey, because of the way you lead with your content and because the entire intention of the platform is connection between creators, not just people who want to be guests. Because no disrespect to people who want to be guests only, they're in a different space. You know, podcasting is extremely time consuming and it requires a a level of passion and dedication that isn't necessary to just pop on a show, pitch your new book, pitch your new whatever and leave. 
So altogether, just the way it's set up is positioned well for real connections. So one person I can think of in particular, I connected with him because Audrey has the LGBTQ tag and I was specifically looking for shows that were in that grouping. And I reached out to someone whose show is 100% dedicated to AAPI folks who are also queer. And even though I would never be a suitable guest for their show because they're creating sacred space for Asian folks, he's just an amazing person. When I was able to listen to his show, I'm like, oh, I really hope he answers my message. I feel like we're going to get it long great. And we do. We talk like all the time. <laughs> and I'm hoping he's going to come visit me this summer once we're both vaccinated. And but those levels of connections, I haven't had that on any other platform where not only am I meeting great guests, he has also connected me to a ton of other people I had no way of knowing who aren't podcasters. So they wouldn't be on Audrey, but it's led to really meaningful connections and friendships that I know are going to last for years. And I love what you mentioned there when it comes to listening to the show as well and listening to the person talking. I feel that a good a good percentage of time, let's be honest, it's not always like an exact science, but you hear somebody talking, you hear the relationship they have with their guests, you understand how the conversation is going and it really gives you an idea how they could fit within your show or you could fit within theirs or maybe not, as you said. And I think it's it's a little trick that if a few more podcasters and guests will think about, it will really help them because at least you know that you are going to be able to connect and it just changes the conversation because it should be a conversation. I'm I, That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a hard question now though okay. because we talked a lot about the, the, the guests. So I know that you have around 18 episodes at least at the time of recording out, but is there one episode that, you're particularly fond of or they really spoke to you? I know it's hard because it's like choosing among all of the ones that are all awesome, but if you were to choose one that really stood out so far, which one would that be? Honestly, it's interesting because even though my show is centered on queer folks and people of color, and I've been trying to lean even harder into the people of color angle, one of the episodes that just I listen to it again and again, and I love the way this person expresses themselves and their personal story is so fascinating. It was a white, cisgender, gay Canadian man who grew up in a time that being gay was still illegal in Canada. And just all the emotional work he had to do to get to a place where he could understand that he is worthy and acceptable it was just so relatable the way he shares it. And there's something about some of this stuff I think is natural talent and some comes with age, but it was beautiful too, to be able to hear somebody's personal story told in such a relatable way who I never would have had any interaction with. Otherwise we don't live in the same country. And I really hadn't thought about the personal experience of suddenly seeing all of your friends die from a mysterious new deadly illness, right? Like I hadn't, of course, we've watched movies about the early days of AIDS and HIV, but to just hear somebody's personal story, knowing that you're just getting into that stage in life where you're learning to accept yourself, and then you have to live through that, and knowing that people who survived that era are still around us, and working through their trauma, it just really 
had a major impact on me thinking about all the things that people don't share because it's too painful and what a gift it is when somebody does that work to turn their open wound into a scar that they can talk about. And there's so much power into that idea of actually sharing that, that story. And again, as you said, is almost a gift to the host in a way because you actually are connecting with people that can share stories that, as you said, maybe you wouldn't have thought about. And I think a lot of these connections are just simplified by some of this way that we go about it. But again, one of the things that I think is so magical about your podcast is that you are approaching each story with such a candid kind of approach because they are personal stories. And right. even if they relate to other people, is also somebody starting to unravel some of the good and the bad and the ugly of what they've been going through. And I wanted to ask you actually within that process of also being there to hold their space, because let's be honest, there's also that element, even just listening is such a powerful thing. What has your podcast so far taught you? What have some of these stories taught you about maybe yourself or maybe other elements that you were not expecting to learn? One of the big things for me has been understanding that you hold marginalized and privileged identities at the same time. And that even though I knew this on a level, it's just come up again and again, that even when you're having a hard time or maybe you're being treated poorly in your country of origin, that doesn't mean there isn't a population more vulnerable than you. And it doesn't mean that there isn't someone else that you could be helping. And seeing how empowering that is has been helpful as well. And, you know, we've probably all heard that if you're in a funk or you're struggling with mild depression, that maybe thinking about someone else or helping someone else could be helpful. But hearing people that I mean, some of my guests, it's a miracle they decided to stick around. You know, a lot of people had to work through suicidal ideation and survive that to get here. And it took multiple things, you know, for them to heal. Maybe it was medication, maybe it was therapy, but a lot of people have found that in helping other people that are vulnerable, that that's where they felt empowered again. Because there's a lot of trauma that people hold from childhood in a period where they couldn't escape the situation. And yeah, sure, they're still having a hard time in some ways, but you're more powerful in your adult years than in your childhood. And you can regain that sense of power by advocating for other people. And I didn't realize that would be such a helpful part of my wellness routine to center my energy on helping others and speaking up for others and and not being hypersensitive when someone says a group that you belong to historically is giving a group that I belong to a hard time. Understanding that it isn't about you when you're trying to hold space for someone else. It is totally about making room for that person to share their experience and to hopefully feel a little bit safer when they're done talking with you. It's a great reminder, actually, that of, of the power of being a host, that it doesn't lay in what you say, but actually lays in when you, I think almost when you choose not to say anything and to leave that that space of silence is really interesting because the other host from the podcast, the other podcast that we talked about said exactly the same thing. We we're talking about the power of that silence and the power of letting the other people talk and really express themselves because a lot of the time 
when you think somebody's finished talking, this is another little tip that I want to give. If you let them, you know, digest and potentially like, you know, think about things, you probably will get something else because it's that relaxation, it's that feeling at ease that I love that you mentioned that holding that space and mm -hmm. kind of like shaping that experience for them. I think it's so important. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And then you know that in post, if the pause is huge, of course you can shorten it. I think it's made me a better listener too, to learn that sometimes somebody pauses and they're just processing, they're not done. So just, just wait a little bit and get comfortable with things being quiet and set that tone up front that I have made enough room in my day for you. Because that's another vibe you get from some shows is that people are doing them all at once and, you know, they need to get through the episode. They have a structure and that could be cool too, depending on what you're trying to do. But when you're really trying to make room for people to share their story, I don't think there's any way to like do your season in one day. You need the space and you need the emotional energy. That That's one tip I have for everybody. Like really be careful about when you record your intro and outro. When you do it on different days and your energy changes, it sounds crazy. And you can hear that in some of, <laughs> some of mine. Like I felt like I sounded energized. But I was obviously tired when I recorded an outro after the conversation was over, but giving yourself room to let your guests know, I have time for you. And if you can't find the word, don't worry, we have plenty of time, like just relax and everything can be fixed in post. Love the little tip that the practical tip, everything can be fixed as well, but it's true. And I think it's, again, it really sets this, sets the scene to how you want your show to feel also for the listener. You want it to feel like you were chatting and giving that space to each other so as you said by being aware of it you know exactly the experience that everybody wants to wants to feel and engage and also I do agree you can feel if somebody you know it can be hard sometimes I just want to say also probably you had the same experience to actually record on the same day everything like if you're doing the intro and the outro but I do agree if you can obviously be mindful that the energy that you put in those two minutes at the beginning people will feel that as well so you kind of want to you know, it's, it's important as well. Sometimes I just shake it off a bit and just kind of like sit back into it. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, the last question for you without wobbling my head anymore, um, which is a bit more of a generic question. Maybe in this moment in time, let's say. In this moment in time, what does success, quite a loaded word, you know, mean to you? Oh, that's a tricky one because I want to act like... <laughs> I don't care about metrics. I care about connection, which I do. However, I do want my message to reach as many people as possible. So for me, success is knowing that I'm building relationships with people. So that could be with guests and that could be with listeners. But knowing that, especially with the type of message that I'm working with, Word of mouth is the most powerful way this sort of thing travels because a lot of the terminology I'm using, it's not super SEO friendly. I'm not sure everybody is going to be looking for, they don't always know that what I'm talking about is what they're looking for. Because I don't even know that I would have known how much I needed to have these conversations. I'm so used to my needs not being centered 
And I didn't even have the language for what I was looking for. And it took living through a pandemic and a civil rights movement at the same time for me to say, I need more help and I need it to be tailored to my lived experience. So remembering that if you look at your stats and you see 200 downloads and you were hoping for thousands, remembering that that's 200 people that decided to come in and listen to our conversation. And if I was standing in front of one person, I would never walk away and say, oh, sorry, this isn't big enough of an audience for me. <laughs> so remembering that the numbers represent actual people and that in the end, my goal is connection. That's success for me. I love that. I love that. So little, little final clap there. Dahlia, if people want to find out more, both about your work and your podcast, can you give us a couple of places they could go? Yes, you can visit my website. It's daliakinsey.com. And if you want to go to the podcast, you'll see the link for that there. And that's D-A-L-I-A-K-I-N-S-E-Y. I'm sure the link will be in the show notes somewhere. And on Instagram, it's daliakinseyrd. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode. If you loved it, please take some time to give us five stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your ha-has and takeaways on Instagram at Creative Impact Co. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group.